when you first got to the varsity basketball team at Burnett High School, who was the first person to kick your butt and welcome you to that varsity level of competition? Well, I got moved up as a freshman for a tournament because we had a couple kids that got hurt that were on our varsity. So I got my opportunity to move up, and uh, I didn't really think I was going to play. Um, I thought I was just going to be there for just just a deep backup guy. But mm-hmm. uh, Coach McGee, he looks at me and goes, all right, get in there. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> all right. Well, so I go get in there, and and I was I was moved up for more for my shooting. I was, I was, was able to shoot the ball pretty well at the time. And so um, they ran a little set to me in the corner, and and uh, our one of our guys that was setting a down screen didn't set a very good screen. I let that thing go, and that thing was sent back into the bleachers. And this kid happened to be about six nine, six eight, six nine, and he was he was very good. And I remember him saying, "Got to get that shot shot off faster, youngster." And and, uh, <laughs> and so I I knew right there I was in a whole different level. And and I happened to look up in the stands and see my dad laughing his tail off, and. Uh, that was a pretty funny moment right there. But after that, it kind of grew me there. I, I ended up actually scoring a couple in that game, but, um, but that was definitely an eye opener, right? Was I walked on the courts. It always feel like I need one more boy. And one more line, record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head, lost my mind, and sharing them. I'm just fine, I'm good enough, but I need one more boy. And one more line, record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head, lost my mind, and sharing them. I'm just fine, I'm good enough, but I need one more boy. And one more line, record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head. Lost my mind, insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough But you be told I need some therapy, initially ain't do it voluntarily, but now I got a legacy Alright, welcome to another brand new episode of the Team Player Podcast, this is episode number 70 Really cool story here with this guest, this is a guy that I've never actually personally met But the, the funny story was, uh, one of my childhood friends actually, a guy named Ryan Edwards I was listening to my episode of another childhood friend, Dan Shook, you know, uh, uh, several episodes ago and he, he, he messaged me and said, hey, you have got to reach out to this guy, Sonny Wilson. He said he's a local legend is what he called you, man, yeah. in the Marble Falls area. Uh, so, man, I'm really excited that we got to connect. This is going to be a great episode. But it's my privilege to welcome the uh, bo- uh, boys basketball coach at Marble Falls High School, or a, ba- a boys basketball coach at Marble Falls High School. Coach Sonny Wilson, welcome to the show. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And if you're a part of the team player movement, please make sure you have given us a five-star rating. We've got 58 on Spotify, 29 on Apple Podcasts. And like I've been saying, we're still holding at a 5.0 rating on Apple, but somebody gave us a bad rating on uh, on Spotify. So we're down to a 4.9. So again, if you have not rated, please get us a rate uh, on Spotify and get us back to that 5.0 of these awesome guests that we have so far. Uh, if you want to leave a written review, I read those live on the show. And then you get the follow button to subscribe and hear a new episode in your queue every Sunday. We'll be honored if the Team Player Podcast made it into your rotation. I'm your host, James Kovaleski. You can follow me on Twitter at Coach underscore Kovo. That's Coach underscore K-O-V-O. All right, Coach. So you grew up in Burnett, Texas, but you're originally from Dublin, Texas. And that's one of the cool things about Texas. Some of these towns, we got Paris, we got Dublin. I mean, we have these, you know, very worldly uh, town names. Uh, you know, in Dublin, I looked up as kind of in between Abilene and Waco about an hour and a half southwest of Fort Worth. So I'm just curious, how, how long did you stay in Dublin before you went over to Burnett? 
Uh, I stayed in Dublin until I was in seventh grade, so 13 okay. years old. Yes, sir. Yeah. And then my dad got a job in Burnet for Parks and Recreation Director uh, for the city. And so we packed up and moved to Burnet, Texas after that. And I stayed here since. I uh, love it. There's another thing. I, 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 my pronunciation was off. So burn it. I was saying burn it. I, I, I burn love it. Some of those burn it. Darn it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I love burn it. Darn it, man. I, I love that, man. And for those that don't know, uh, burn it about an hour and a half or an hour northwest of Austin. Uh, so they're kind of, you know, in the hill country area. Uh, your football coach, I definitely recognize this name, Bob Shipley. So I'm assuming, yep, yep the dad, uh, Jackson uh, Shipley there and Jordan Shipley. And yes, then you sir. also, yeah, uh, Gerard, Jared Rye was also. So you played for two coaches, then I take it on the football side. So Bob was um, Bob was our head coach at the time, but um, Jared Rye was more of our my positional coach. But okay. he ended up uh, later on down the road after he came back home. Um, he ended up being the head coach here and burn it for a couple of years. But Jared Rye was more my, I guess, my favorite coach at the time because he was more of my positional coach. So I sure. really answered to him more. But uh, Bob was our Bob was our head coach. Yes, sir. Yeah. You mentioned Rodney McGee was your basketball coach. And you also you had Coach Ham for swimming and, and Robbie Clark for track. So man, a four-sport athlete here. And these aren't – you don't always see this combination of football, basketball, soccer, track. So can you – I mean, as a coach, we all, most of us, we love multi-sport athletes and I'm just really impressed at the, at the variety of different sports you had here. Can you kind of talk about that, that mixture that you had of those four sports? Uh, yeah. Um, so at the time in Burnett, um, you know, I, we all did everything pretty much. Um, I actually liked playing baseball too, but I was terrible at it. Uh, cannot lie. But, um, basketball was my big love and then obviously if you lived in Burnett, you played football and mm -hmm. love football and uh we played i didn't get to play um Burnett actually made three state championships in their career but that was one that was in 91 which obviously i wasn't there and then um when i was a sophomore um i had a broken collarbone at the time um i didn't never get to play or anything so i was out uh but we played everman in the first state championship. And then the second year where I did get to play, uh, we played Gainesville. Um, but that was a Burnett was a, was a football town at the time. And uh, I got to enjoy being a part of it, but also um, basketball was my love. And then if you, if you played football, you ran track and um, <laughs> I was not the best at track. I cannot lie to you, but it, it made me better. Um, got me in shape. And then, and, and I don't really say this much to everybody, but I, my best sport, I believe that could have got me pretty far was swimming, but my love and desire for football and basketball were so high that I thought I could go do something that, but, but anyway, swimming was, uh, was a, a good sport for me too. It just kept me in shape and, and I was pretty good at it, but, uh, yeah, so it was, it was cool. We stayed busy, you know, during my childhood over here, we all, we all did several sports, so it wasn't. It was common for to see a kid nowadays only doing one sport, you know. So we all were doing everything. So, no, man, I, I totally get that, and I think that I think it's awesome, and I love that variety that you had there. But you know, we, we talked about your welcome to varsity moment. You're you're one of those guys that got to actually compete at the varsity level as a freshman. So I mean, I can only yeah. imagine what you described. You had to feel overwhelmed, but 
One new question we've started asking more recently is, was there kind of a, a breakthrough moment for you where you kind of like, you, you realize, man, I belong here. Was there, was there that kind of defining moment for you where, where you, you, you didn't see yourself as a young kid anymore and you really felt like you were a vital part of that a varsity team? Um, I actually really felt that more when I was a sophomore. Okay. Uh, yep. I, I was pretty, I guess one of my qualities I did have, um, I, I had really good IQ and, and I understood a lot and, and I knew that I wasn't nowhere near the best player on varsity. We had a couple kids out. And so if it wasn't for a couple injuries, I don't think I would have had that opportunity as a freshman, but I did and made, I mean, I made the best of it and I actually scored and did some things with it. But, um, but you know, as soon as those guys got back, um, I didn't play very much after that. I mean, I got to be with them for the rest of the season and, and practice with them, but, I started really noticing it. Well, let me backtrack. When I was in practice and starting to be able to play with them and getting used to it, because um, we were pretty good in basketball. Um, Roddy McGee always had really good basketball teams. And when I started to feel that I could compete with them and run with them, and then, you know, we always played on the weekends too, open court runs. I started to feel knowing that I belong with those guys. And uh, it had a couple cool dudes take me under their wing and – you know, because I was nervous. I ain't going to lie sure, to you. I was sure. a nervous freshman kid. But um, a couple guys were like, hey, you can play here. Just got to be confident, you know. And so ever since I felt that, those vibes from my older peers, you know, those juniors and seniors, um, I started to gain confidence. And then sophomore year, I had a little bit of a breakthrough. And then, therefore, I just then I just went on after that. So it was good. That's interesting to me, Coach. You know, you you bring up that the moment when your older peers started kind of accepting you into the group a little more, building you up, and you know, kind of filling into your bucket there. Like, is that something now that that you're a coach? Are you cognizant of that when you do have a sophomore or a freshman that makes the varsity squad? Is that something you're actively trying to do? Is have your your older leaders on the team bring that player in? Or, or I mean, I'm just curious because I find that really interesting that that it really was kind of the, the older guys extending that that acceptance and that, you know, to you is what really made the difference. I'm curious your thoughts of, of that now as a coach. Yeah. Um, it's big time. Cause we here at Marble Falls, we, most of our team was sophomores. We were really young. We had a couple of juniors and then we had like two seniors and it was really big on having those two seniors being leaders for those guys. Mm -hmm. Cause you know, going in. So the year before I got there, um, which we don't try to talk about it too much, but the the coaches that, that are still there I coach with, they went they were in a really tough district. They were in five A, five A, one of the toughest districts in the state. And they went they went Ofer the year before I got there. And wow. the talent level wasn't really great. Ofer in um, district coach or Ofer for the season? Ofer for the season. That and, is okay. Can we yeah, I'll let you finish it, but also I'm very interested in that because basketball is you know, some fans should know it's it's a long season. So that that's, that's pretty it. unusual. To oh and ten football happens from time to time, but in basketball, mm -hmm. I don't even know if I've I've really seen too much of that. No, I haven't seen much of it either. But I will say the the talent that they had at the time, right there. But see, but also too, it was a lot of those kids that were caught in the COVID years. I mean, sure. yep. it's never really had those kids really never really had the opportunity to go play like spring and summer select basketball and, and do all these extra things that a lot of these kids nowadays do. Right. Um, and, um, but they, 
it was a tough season for those our coaches, which we have some really good coaches. And it was just one of those things where after I got to know the true story. So uh, before I signed out with Marble Falls, I actually had a program called Next Level. I still have it. But a lot of these kids played for me a long time ago and or a few years ago. And they were young. They're young and they're they're very talented. So our coach made the decision that instead of moving those kids up to varsity, you know, he decided just to go ahead and keep them together, you know, eat, you know, basically just take a season hit and let those kids stay together and build and then move them up the next year. And, you know, and it paid off. We ended up winning district this year. Wow. Um, wow. <laughs> so we go from Ofer to winning district. And then, um, wow. Congratulations. Uh, That's the, awesome. Oh, thank you. It was good. It was a good season for us. It was great rebuilding year and have very high hopes for this going into this year, but uh, lost in overtime on a buzzer beater in the first round of the playoffs, which, um, you know, was a, was a dagger, but you know, we are going to be realistic this next round. I think we would have got bounced pretty good. There was a really good Houston team that, um, that ended up making the state semifinals this year. So it w- we would have had a hard time with them, but, you know, knowing that we could have, we won district and could have won a playoff game from the year before was a good, you know, was a huge success for us. And then now we're, you know, we have our eyes set on hopefully maybe, you know, making the regional tournament for too long, but going back to your question, the yeah. leadership, yes, it's a big deal. Like those kids that went through the grind, you know, that went through because a lot of those kids quit. I mean, which sure. I mean, if you go oh and if you go oh and thirty, right, you, you know, you have bad taste in your mouth. And a lot of those kids quit. So the two that did stay, <clears throat> they carried a huge load. And they weren't our best players, but they were big time role players and they were they're the ones that kept the glue together and understood yeah. like the system and what we're trying to do and you know what we're trying to be at. Those were our captains and and they did a good job. So getting those younger guys grounded real quick and comfortable was a huge deal, which ended up paying off for us, you know, when we got to district. So yeah, leadership from older peers, I I feel is is a huge part of team building as well. So and trust and all that. So man, yeah, I just really cannot get over that story, coach, because I mean, I, I've been a part of an 0-10 season when I was head football coach at Aldi. And my last year we went 0-10. And, and so I, I felt what 0-10 feels like, but man basketball you said it was a 30 game season so to just getting up off the mat you know so to speak after after all those losses I mean I'm just really impressed and I'm also really impressed you know with with your program there your head coach that there's got to be tons of pressure after going 0 and 30 that you need to start winning games on varsity you know yeah pressure could have been to move those young kids up and try to get the best varsity that you had so how did how did coach withstand the pressure to try to do the right thing for the long term and let those kids start developing a winning culture. Like, did, did you guys have those conversations where you almost you, you felt pressured to move them up early, or, or or was it from the beginning you knew like, hey, let's keep them on the freshman team and let's start winning and start building that winning culture? Yeah. Um. So, I've asked him a lot of questions about last year. Him and the other assistants that was there. Yeah. Um. You could just feel me coming in because I wasn't a part of that season but you could feel the pressure on them. And, you know, and the biggest thing was, though, it was kind of more, hey, I'm going to take my licks right now, but it's going to pay off in the long run if you just stay with me. And, you know, one of those deals, which, I mean, you know this probably better than anybody. If you're not winning, I mean, people are starting to look to to replace. And so it's 
you know, it paid off. Um, it paid off. The gamble paid off on what they did because those kids stay together and they have a lot of camaraderie together. And um, but it was hard, you know, for me as a coach coming in, you know, and 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 having a big part of what we did. It, you know, I had a lot of stress on me because I was like, I don't want those guys to feel what they felt last year, you know. Right. And so, um, but for what. There, I gained a whole lot of respect because those guys never quit. Even when it was Owen, 27, 28, hearing them talk, they never quit coaching and they never quit prepping. They never quit, you know, doing it. And I'll tell you right now, I'll work for guys like that all day long, Absolutely. you know, instead of, you know, instead of guys, you know, I mean, coaches that know that they're not going to have a great team this year. So it's almost like they just take a back seat, you know, and just coast and just right. get through it. And I'm like, shoot, I'm going to, I'm going to work with the guys. I don't care how bad we are. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to work hard and we're going to, we're going to try to win. We're going to try to find ways to, to make this thing work. And so I could work for guys like that any day of the week. So, but it was, yeah, tough road, but now I think reaping the benefits of what we have done so far. So anyway, yeah, it's, it's incredible to win districts. I, I, I talked about on an earlier podcast, like so many times when you, in football, once you see teams hit that 0 and 10 mark, you don't really see them rebound in the next decade. I mean, it, it's going to usually it's, it's Owen 10, one and nine, two and eight for, for several, several years on end. Not only did you start winning some games or get a 500 record or, or get the fourth playoff spot, you guys won the district. I mean, that yep. that is incredible. That's an incredible job. I'm, your whole staff deserves and, and the, the parents and the players and everyone involved in that organization. Cause that really is unheard of coach. I mean, that, <laughs> yep. The biggest thing I saw this year, too, which I know is not even related to basketball, or I guess it can be, but we started seeing more fan. When you start to win, too, you start to see more fans show up. Yeah. And I will tell you, by the time District got here, our home games were packed every night. And That's we awesome. also, too, and granted, we had a really we had a really good girls basketball team, too, that ended up going three rounds this year, losing to – the state champions this year, Waco La Vega girls. And so the electricity that was in that gym from night in and night out meant a lot to the kids too, as well. But we were that team, like people like to come out and see, like, you know, we have a couple kids that can flat out go. And then we have some of those kids that are just true warriors, you know, that like to work and, you know, and they're playing defense and they're coming down the court and clapping right in your face, ready to go, you know, like, so there's a lot of fight in this team. This team is is something that I've never been really a part of. And I've coached some really great basketball teams and kids. And this team right here, they just have a different factor to them that we're not the most talented team out there in the state of Texas. I'll give it, you know, I'll say that, but I'll tell you what, they're not scared of nobody. And so, right. which I, that, that makes me proud to be a part of that, that journey. So. Yes, sir. And also, you know, one last thing on that, just kudos to you, to your athletic director, you know, also for sticking with your coach. You know, yeah. you said, a lot of times there could be that pressure. Oh man, oh and thirty, we need to make a change. It sounds like you had support from above you to, hey, we believe in you. Let's stick it out, and and it paid off big time. Right? Yeah. No, we our athletic director. He's um, he's a very patient guy. He um, you know, he, he kind of was in the same boat this year uh, with football. You know, last year um, they went four rounds deep in football, I, I believe three or four rounds deep Yeah, and they graduated a lot of seniors. So, and you know, this, when you graduate a lot, a lot of seniors and start bringing in a lot of new guys, you're going to have a downfall, you know, you're going to, you're going to take a back seat for a little bit. And sure. so, and he did, but 
you know, me being in those locker rooms and those, those coaching meetings and things like that. I mean, continue to stay positive and trying to find ways to make things better, you know? So again, I'll be a part of anything. If they're, you know, people that, you know, coaches, coaching staff are a team too, you know, and, and when you don't quit on each other and you're continuously trying to make things better and work on each other, I, I can work for guys like that all day long. So anyway, it's good stuff. Yeah, no, I mean, we, we, we got a little sidetracked there because I, I was just so blown away by that story. But really, we, typically after we talk about your time at Burnett, we, we talk about college. And then you went to Central Texas College, I believe? Yeah, so I, I, I graduated with an associate's degree at Central Texas College. And I'm actually currently about to finish my bachelor's degree at, at Abilene Christian. Oh, so, very cool. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And you mentioned to me that, you know, you, you didn't play, you didn't play at that time, but you, you did try out a couple of times, but you said during that college experience is when you knew coaching was your path. And so this is a question right. I ask all the time, coach, I keep statistics on it out of all my guests. And you're the 70th guest we've had come into the team player podcast studios. 60% of them entered college, not thinking they were going to coach. They were majoring in something else. And so I found that number kind of interest, very interesting. And so it sounds like maybe you were the same way. Maybe you came in thinking you were going to do something else, but then something happened that led you to coaching. Yeah. Um, I was actually wanting to go to college to be a pediatric nurse. Oh, and cool. okay. Quickly found out when I was taking my intro to nursing class, when we had to draw blood, I got sick. And I was like, <laughs> right. uh, this ain't for me, but. Yeah, I've yeah. tried to run away from coaching and sports for a lot, especially a in pediatrics, lot. coach. I mean, because little kids, I mean, my, my son, he had, had to do his first blood draw at his one year checkup. That was painful to watch as a dad. <laughs> Just to see. Oh, yeah, man. I, I can only imagine Poor little guy. Yeah. Yeah. No, it. Um, I wanted to be a nurse, but I, you know, and I've always loved sports. I actually coached. My dad was a parks and rec director for a long time. He still is. Um, but he made me coach a lot of youth sports because they didn't have very many volunteers. So I got into coaching really when I was a sophomore, junior in high school, coaching little league basketball teams and flag football teams. Mm -hmm. And I loved it. And, but then, you know, going into college, I did a couple tryouts for basketball and just realized that I was really suited more for the coaching world than playing. Sure. And so, and I've tried to run away from it several times, man. And I, <laughs> um, God has destined me to be back to where I was doing. So anyway, now I'm here. And then as far as your coaching stops, we've talked about you're currently at Marble Falls. You also spent time at Faith Academy in Marble Falls. And yep. you also were at Burnett, you, you said. So you, you're one of our few coaches yep. that actually you got to return to your alma mater to coach. And so that's, that's only 20% of my guests across 70 guests yep. have been able to coach their alma mater. So let's start there. What was it like getting to go back to, uh, to Burnett and, and coach? It was a lot of fun. Um, actually, the the coach that we talked about earlier, Jared Rye, yeah, he was the head coach at the time, and um, there was an opportunity for me to get in there um, to have a little two year temporary contract, which I coached at the middle school and got to help out some with the high school stuff, and uh, I loved it. I knew all the kids because of my programs, uh, my next level programs that I ran, yeah. so. So I already had a good jump on these kids on knew who they were, what they were. And, um, and while I was back at Burnett, uh, one of my best friends got to got hired on there. And so I got to coach with him for a little while and, you know, just being back at your hometown is, it's just, it's something a little bit different. You know I mean? I mean, 
it means everything when you're coaching somewhere, but it just means a little bit more when you're, you know, you're back at your alma mater and you have people that have supported you when you were a kid, you know, still there. And yeah, it was just, it's just, a, it was a great feel. And so. Marble Falls, if, at least correct me if I'm wrong, I believe it's just 20 minutes south of Burnett. So, I mean, you, you're, you've been kind yeah. of in the same geographical area for all these stops. Yep. Yes, sir. And, and yeah. So your program for next level, I take it you have your players come from both of those two towns. Yeah, uh, a lot of the surrounding areas like Land Passes, yes. Burnett, Marble Falls, Lano. Yes, sir. Yeah, it's. I want to talk about next course. level because I'm really interested in this. I'm interested in, in uh, AAU basketball culture or whatever you know, travel ball basketball culture. And I have a, like I said, I have a one year old son. So hopefully, if, if he's into hoops, which I hope that he is, I'll, I'll be getting involved in this and. I'm really yeah. interested in this because I guess I've heard from parents all kinds of conflicting stories. And I think it's just so important to get involved with the right program. And, yep. you know, for me, I'll just speak to this because I mean, you're the expert on it. But for me, like, I like a lot of times I like programs <clears throat> that are led by people like yourself that have been coached at the high school level. And they kind of, in my opinion, they, they get it. And a lot of times what I see is that these coaches that I'm attracted to uh, for, for AAU are, are really fundamental focused. Sometimes I think, and this is me as an outsider, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but sometimes I think like some programs are just so focused on just attracting the best talent into their program so they can, you know, achieve at a high level. I, I always, I wonder sometimes like, is the focus on just getting the best players on your team and not developing them? Or, you know, can you speak to that a little bit? Cause again, I'm, I'm an outsider. I'm just kind of hearing this from talking to people. I've never, I'm not a, haven't been a sports parent yet, really. Can you describe what, what AAU basketball is like? And do you see some of that kind of stuff? Like some where some programs are more fundamental focused and others are, are more of just trying to attract talent or, or I'm, I'm really curious your thoughts on that. Yeah, no, you're, you nailed it on the head. Um, with our program, we, so two years ago we had in our program, spring and summer program, we had 26 teams in our program. And what we did was we try to place the kids where, well, number one, I'm, I'm a firm believer of leaving no kid behind, especially if they want to work and get better. Um, I, there are a lot of programs out there that throw a lot of kids away just so they can try to chase as many medals, rings, and things like and clout right. as much as they can. And you, I, my personal opinion, you see those teams disappear quickly the ones that i feel like now granted there are some of those teams where or those programs where it's elite based focus but like for more college exposure focus um i can see the reason why for that and now i could go into that later but as for like sure. these young kids like you know these second third fourth fifth all the way up even up to high school these kids if you don't have a fundamental program around to where they just solely are based on kids and want to develop then i mean i i don't know i don't understand what the purpose of of doing it is i i've always you know i've come from a school background i love the school background and you know you got to get kids out there playing if you want to develop them and get them better and and i i'm a firm believer of getting i'm i'm at fault trying to save every kid and it does stress me out a lot but sure. getting them an opportunity to to do this and be a part of it and it's a big deal um, because a lot of these programs are not focused on that. They're only focused on winning, which, right? you know, I, I've never heard of. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's been those those crazy extreme athletes at sixth grade, whatever that can dunk already, but never seen a kid get recruited at fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade. Right. <laughs> and right. I think it's just 
you know, and also too in the AAU world, a lot of these coaches that lie about their kids' ages or grades just to play a division lower to win. Wow. Like I'm just like, you know, like, you know, and I've lost, I will be honest with you, I've lost kids because I've lost kids to so-called better or better teams, but then wanting to come back because it, the grass wasn't greener on the other side. Like just the mission of it was not what they're used to. You know what I mean? And so yeah. um, I always say this to every AAU parent or person, you know, no matter if your kid is somewhere where they're, they are thriving, they're loving basketball and they're learning and they're getting better and they're getting opportunity, then stay, then stay. And then, you know, I mean, if they're, you know, obviously there's different situations to leave a program. If, if a coach isn't very professional or they, you know, their characteristics are not great, but, um, but like for us, I, I try to base our program around a, you know, a Christ-based, you know, um, a Christ-based culture, but also to, I mean, we, we teach our kids to want to be winners. I mean, we're going to be competitive and we're not gonna, we're not going to lay down, but, the thing is winning a, a $2 medal at a tournament is not everything. And I want our kids to be challenged. And I, and I always tell my parents this all the time. If you're here to go win as many medals as possible, then I'm not the program for you because we do have a lot of teams that are good, that are very good, that we will place them in a division above their level just so they can get beat or get pushed. Yeah. I tell them I'd if we have a 30 game season, I'd rather go 15 and 15 than 30 and 0, right. you know? Um, and, you know, and I find out too, when you play teams, because we've been on the side too, where we've killed teams before and it doesn't make us any better. We actually develop sloppy habits and I, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be a part of that. And none of my coaches are a part of that. And so that, you know, and I'm very picky on who we hire too. Cause I, you know, I want them to be on the same wavelength as what we're, what we're thinking you know and there's been great coaches that haven't coached for us because they think of something different which is fine it's great go for it but we're gonna try to develop kids and build the fundamentals because when they get to high school you know and also another big thing too in our program is we don't really try to run a lot of set plays we're trying to learn how to move without the basketball I like that, yeah to, yeah you know what i mean like we'll have a couple little quick hitters you know like i mean trying to like have some organization but we're really we're trying to learn how to play the game and learn how to flow because what we're teaching them they can bring into any system of basketball you know whatever you know because i i tell the parents this you're paying me to teach your kid how to play not to run a play you know correct. what i mean and correct and um i'd rather them to learn how to attack the rim and finish at the rim or learn how to what their jump shot is like or, you know, learning the game instead of just saying, oh, yeah, well, coach taught us to how to learn how to run the play X, you know, and you know what I mean? So anyway. I totally, but I totally agree, coach. And it's like, you know, my, 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 uh, my younger brother has, you know, a, a little girl that that's going to be starting softball soon. And his wife is coaching one of the teams in the area there. And it's like, they, they were telling me stories about how the, one of the other programs was trying to, like, these are little girls, like maybe four or five years old. And like one of the coaches, they, they were like purposely trying to position their girls to slap the ball towards third base. So they could get to get on first easier because nobody can make that throw Yeah, <laughs> third to first or or they would send them on purpose because like the girls, you know, don't throw the ball real well right now. So they would send them to second, even when they they probably should be out. But you see what I'm saying? They're, they're like gaming right. the system to try to win that game. Yeah, you're going to see coaches like that for uh, I mean, I I don't know how. 
I mean, I, I, as much as it frustrates me with all that, yeah, I don't know if that problem will ever go away. I think just the the best thing is decision for parents is get them with the person that has the right, right values, you know, and just say, hey, okay, you let those let those people win right now, but in the end, you'll be the one standing at the end, you know. So anyway, oh, totally it's like agree, that. Man. It's yeah. like that everywhere. It's like that everywhere in every sport. I and mean, we, I mean, crap. My son has a little baseball team. And, you know, and I see it all the time in baseball, just with these coaches trying to, you just, what's the next little edge to go win? You know Correct. what I mean? Like, it's stupid, but we, um, you know, with our baseball team, what we do, I mean, it's, it's, we try to handle it all the right way. Uh, we have a next level baseball team and I got one of my best friends running it and he's a coach in Lampasas and he runs it the way that I, how I like it. You know what I mean? So right. it's the right way so and that's not to say that coaches that didn't coach the high school level like they may get it too there may be some out there but like they, they to me they, they have to get it what, what you described of like i'm not here really necessarily to win this game i'm here to prepare you for your high school program you know right and so yep. I, I mean i agree with that 100 percent. so what advice would you give like for me i i imagine what, what i picture it looking like coach is when my son does get old enough, if he wants to play, I would reach out to, to programs in the area. And I would, I would ask, may I sit in on a practice? Like, I'd like to observe the way that you run your program. Like, is that, is that realistic? Is that how most parents do it? Like, that's what I want to do. But I'm curious hey, for my parents listening, like what, how would you recommend selecting a program? I would, that, I, I think you're right on the right on track. Um, yeah. I have some great friends that run amazing programs, especially in the Austin area. And they allow their parents to sit in on practices and watch. And, um, you know, there's different rules and things that we put in place for parents. Sure. But at the same time, a good, I think a good director will allow you to do that and be like, yeah, you can see what we do, you know? Um, you know, and also, I mean, just, you know, I, I think it's all, a lot of it's trial and error too, you know, just right. seeing how people are, you know, I mean, it takes, you know, in the AAU world, it takes a couple clubs, maybe. I mean, it's usually like with us, and I'll go back. Um, I was talking to one of my staff members the other day. I think we, when we keep a kid in next level, I think we retrieve most of our kids like 90, a 93% comeback rate, you know? So I think we hardly, we don't miss kids. We don't lose kids very often because they understand well, who we are. Um, I think really the only time that we miss out on a kid is, um, like for instance, like in high school, if they're trying to go play exposure basketball, that's a totally different world. I mean, you're sure kids that are trying to go play at the next level, like college, um, you do got to have teams that are good enough. If you're going to go travel across the state and pay that money to do it, right? you better have a team that's worth it. You know what I mean? Sure. But, but same, but same scenario though, you don't want to have a million kids on one team, you really want to have eight to nine kids. And so those kids can get opportunity, you know, to do that type of stuff. But, um, I think for you, if, if it were for me, I would just, yeah, just go with your gut and, you know, try to get to know the director and know what their practice style is and, you know, and how they do things. And then if it fits you, then, then amazing, you know? Um, but I mean, it's it's a tough one. I think you just kind of go with your gut feeling on what you feel like what's right, what fits your with your morals and ethics, and then you just stick stick with it. You know. So, and you mentioned travel, and I, that's one thing I've always wondered about. 
because I, I growing up I played football and so football is one of those sports it's starting to get taken over a little bit by the private side uh, with some of the seven on seven stuff and things like that but you know when growing up in the 90s like it was pretty much you just played through your middle school and your high school and so that's what I did so I never actually played in a sport where there was travel involved my wife right. played college soccer and so she, and when she was in high school she played on a high level club soccer team and she would fly to you know, like Maryland and stuff, you know, all over the, the country for these tournaments. I've never fully understood that coach. Can you help explain to me? Cause I always wonder, like, especially those of us that live in major metropolitan areas, like a Houston or an Austin or whatever, isn't there enough talent and competition in our city? Like why, why do I need to pay to fly my daughter to Florida to play a soccer tournament? I'm just, I'm curious. Can you explain to me more about that side of the travel ball? You know, the high school sports, which this is kind of sad. But I feel like more of the select private sector now is starting to gain more attraction to these these college coaches than the actual high school. Um, like, for instance, like I have a kid that play, has played for me for a long time that lives in Goldthwaite, Texas, which that is a little 1A, 2A town. And he's really good. But the deal is those college scouts, and I'm talking for basketball purposes here, a lot of those college scouts are not going to go watch two A basketball when they could go roll over to Duncanville, Texas, and watch the mecca of basketball over there. In tech, you know, um, a lot of these select. That's why the select world is so high right now because these lot they're called live events. So basically, where these college coaches are allowed to come out and evaluate kids right there. And so when you go travel to these tournaments, so these 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 tournaments that are like in Austin, Houston, Florida, Kentucky, whatever it is, girls or boys, they travel to go where these college coaches are to go perform in front of them to I get yeah. to, to turn their eye. And so, which, I mean, I, I, I mean, I've been a part of it too. Last year we took two girl teams to Kentucky last year to a college exposure event. And I'll say over three quarters of our two teams of our girls, got either offers or big interest because we're playing against teams that like girls that are already heavily recruited. And then those, those, those coaches see another team or they play against those other girls. And then, and they're like, man, I really like that girl. What's her name? Like, Hey, we need to get her on our list, you know? And, and so it's really just more of trying to find out where these college coaches are going and then, and then putting them in front of them. So that's why the travel deal is so crazy. But then also too, travel you if you're trying to prep for things like that you want to go see other talent like because like in us like there's a difference in austin talent than dallas talent and mm -hmm. houston talent there's different talent everywhere and there's different styles and you want your kids to kind of see the overall world of basketball and so that's why that's why now like right now with our club we only stay in the austin area because we're still young and we're yeah. and when there's no need to go travel far right now um, but as you start to get older and older, I think the more of the travel starts to get more of a priority um, just so you can see other level of teams. So anyway, that's fair. I mean, that, that totally makes sense. And I think for me, I just want to strike that correct balance because I do think it can go too far. If, I mean, if we're getting on planes multiple times in the season, I just, man, I don't know if I can afford that. <laughs> no, you no, know, it's tough, man. It's tough. I'm going to tell you right now, my, my son, that's he's growing up in it right now. Um, he'll stay in the Austin area until he's about eighth, ninth grade. I mean, I'm not, yeah. we're not going to go, we're not going to go out of state to sure, go sure. play a tournament. You know, that's, that's dumb. 
And, I think uh, it's like you just you trust you, you, like a director like yourself to make the right decisions, right? Like this tournament in Kentucky is a big bang for your buck kind of value tournament. We're gonna we're gonna build for this, right? But right, I think maybe sometimes I don't know I don't know if like I don't know if somebody's got to be making money off of it, right? For the people that are constantly traveling, I'm like, w- why so much travel? Like, do do you see that where like it can become too much to where the kids are burnt out? Like, I, two more questions I had for you. I saw on Twitter someone tweeted this morning like. Um, you know, college and pro athletes aren't aren't asked to play twelve games in a weekend. Why are our little kids playing twelve games in these travel ball tournaments? That's do, crazy. Do, do you I feel like there is some kind of like burnout level too for if it gets if it goes too far? Yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, we I with our basketball program, we we I run flag football. I do it all, but yeah, for basketball, awesome. I will tell you, even during the middle of our seasons, there will be a time where I purposely say, "Hey, we're taking off this whole week." Yeah. Like go be a kid go or, Hey, we're not going to play for, we're going to continue to practice or train, but we're not going to play in three weekends from now. Like we're just, I try really hard to make the balance to work. Cause I want those kids to want to be there and love it. I don't want them to be like, Oh my gosh, we're having to do this again. And so, and that's even goes with the older kids too, as well. I mean, if you're doing it every single weekend and you don't have a life, then, then I, I think eventually one day these kids are going to steer away. I mean, maybe the one or 2% of kids that are actually good enough to go play ball will stick with it. But I think once you, you'll start seeing those older kids become a disinterest or disinterested into playing, you know, as they get older, cause they do it so much, you know? So um, there's just, I think off seasons are more of a um, off seasons are not a priority anymore in which I'm, exact opposite i think off season is where you grow and that's where i try to teach all of our parents and kids like hey let's get excited for off season let's learn let's let's grow let's get stronger let's let's build let's have fun you know and so and then when we get back to season we're back here again but i think a lot of these these year-round programs they think that i gotta play year-round to be amazing when like i think that you still need to play a lot but i think you also need time off and or you need an off season too so Anyway, yeah, no, don't totally, let your totally kids get burned out. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm so glad to have you here, someone, because I, I I'm very interested in in the youth aspect of it, and you have experience. You're a high school coach, but you're also running your own program, so I really want to pick your brain while we have you. A yeah. couple other topics I've heard brought up. It's kind of the question I have is, you mentioned, you know, for your little kids, you like to you don't you don't turn anybody away. You're you're everyone's practicing. Do is there a certain point though where it goes from that kind of developmental style to the point to where hey now like you're older this is competitive you know because the reason I bring it up is I saw some interaction on my social media feeds and I may butcher the story you may know better than me since you do also run a baseball component of your program but I saw something to the extent of the little league world series is changing their rules to where every person on the 11 to 13 person roster all of them have to bat equally Right. So like everyone is going to get two at bats in a game or something instead of, you know, having obviously your best player take every at bat, like they're going to, they're going to balance it out. And I saw a lot of pushback from people, you know, in my circles saying that like this participation basically like railing against like participation type trophy type culture is, is, is how they're seeing this move. And that, you know, this is, this is becoming competitive baseball at this point, you know, for these kids, the best players should play. I saw stuff I was saying like select baseball. Like a lot of people say back in the day, select baseball really was select. You had to get selected. Now it's just, you just have to pay the money. You make the team, you get, you know, you get equal playing time. Again, I'm not in this world. I'm just hearing 
my friends that are more yeah. talk about it. I'm curious, you're, are you familiar with that story that I'm talking about? You know, with the Little League World Series changing some of their rules, and then um, what do you think about it? What do you think about the competitiveness? Is there an age where you start maybe getting a little more competitive, where where, where different kids on your team play more than others, or do you keep it kind of even all throughout? Well, I think um, I think I see both worlds. I, I, um, I'm not familiar right now with the little league world series type rules and stuff, okay. but I know like in the select world, cause I have a lot of friends, like kids that play uh, on other, you know, clubs and stuff like that. And then you hear the, um, like in these select tournaments it's pool play on, on Saturdays, but then it's bracket play on Sunday. So like we're the best play on Sunday and everybody plays on Saturday and, um, so basically that's where a lot of your problems come from because, you know, they bat everybody on Saturday, they play everybody on Saturday, but then when Sunday gets here in the bracket play with big, cause basically it's one and go home. Mm-hmm. And that's what is pretty common for all these t- select tournaments out here. Um, you know, they put their best nine or 10 and then they sit the other ones, you know, and actually this past weekend we were at a tournament and, uh, we witnessed a dad pull his kid off the field or pull his kid out of the dugout because he wasn't playing on Sunday. And, um, you know, and I don't know what the rules were set for that team. I know every organization is different. I know, like, for us right now, we're eight, we're eight nine years old. So, and mm-hmm. our coach is very big on development and getting it sure. in, in the fire. So, we've bat, we bat all 12 kids no matter what. Just because they all those kids, and then every two innings, they'll rotate two of the kids. You know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. so we kind of have it, but this is kind of our first year doing it. I mean, we've been around it for so long, we know what to do, but we're we're trying to keep kids into the games, you know, and parents spend their money to come and do all this stuff. And, you know, I think it's just kind of more predetermined. Like if you know going into Sunday, you don't want to sub as many people, then don't have many that many kids on your roster like that's my next question coach can you can you expand on that like do you try to keep your roster smaller for that i think you might have mentioned that earlier actually yeah do you you try to keep your roster smaller for that reason i think so i think a lot of these directors are out here like you know they want they want for us our kids don't get charged anything we fundraise for our kids for the baseball stuff and so but like these these people that are making big money off of it they want to make an extra fifteen to two thousand dollars on their roster or whatever, because so they can have that money to to do things with. But mm-hmm. um, I think though it's kind of more of a headache in the long run. I think you get the amount of kids that you got you got to put yourself going into Sunday if you are going to do it like that. Okay, maybe we only rotate one kid. You know, what I mean, we'll bat ten and we have eleven on our roster, and you know we can rotate one kid it's not going to hurt anything i think you got to do all your stuff predetermined sure um i don't think people think while they're building it like oh yeah let's get 12 or 13 kids but then when you're in a tournament and then you got four kids sitting and not playing you know that's it's tough i think you need to do all your prep work early on but um i think you know i think the older you get i think obviously it does need cuz i i mean these kids are going to start understanding that what they're really if they play multi that's why we push multi sports once you start getting old enough you're going to start understanding what you're really good at and what you're not and i think i think the older you get i mean i agree with it i think the older you get the more competitive it gets you know um but also like for me 
and next level. This is the reason why I try to save everybody is I try to put kids on a team where their level is as well. So like if a kid's not very good at basketball, sure, I'm not going to put them on our elite teams, but I'm going to put them on our regional teams or local teams so they can continue to keep playing and progressing and moving forward. That's my biggest deal is what, how can I help your kid? And if, you know, and if I don't have an opportunity for that kid, like, or if I can't put them somewhere, I have a lot of great other people that run programs around too that, that might have a spot that I will get them to there. I just that's won't, awesome. I won't let a kid. That's something I've always told myself since I started this, I will never leave a kid behind and I will make sure no matter what kid that crosses my path, I will make sure that they're in the right place so they can develop. And if, if you're a parent in the Austin area listening to this, you've got to reach out to coach Sonny Wilson, man. Cause you, you sound like <laughs> the exact right type of person to be working with these kids to like, to where it's like, it is a business and you're, you're, you, you could potentially turn away business cause you're trying to do what's right by the kid. I, I just love that coach. I mean, yeah. I, your why I can see your why, man. It's, 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 just, it's oozing off of you, man. I think that's I really good. But last two, last two or one or two questions I have here. And it, it kind of ties together. The big buzz topic that you can get people really fired up about is what they call participation trophy culture. And <laughs> a lot of people don't like it. You know, they feel that now in youth sports, it's too much of just, hey, everybody wins and everybody gets a trophy. And some people don't like that. Some people are for it. I'm just kind of curious your thoughts on that. You know, you know, any any opinion you have that now since you're actually inside of it. And then number two, that kind of ties in with it. I've heard a lot of heat coach at the high school level say, because of this sort of participation trophy culture or because of all these select teams, you know, bringing on all these players and telling them since, you know, a lot of high school coaches will say that these select coaches, you know, the parents are, are paying them. So they're going to all tell these parents like, Hey, your kid's great. I don't know why he's not playing at the high school. You're, he's awesome. You know, and so you have all these kids hearing that, but then when they get to the high school, it's a true meritocracy, you know, so you're getting all <laughs> these kids from these different select programs and now they're having to compete for spots and suddenly they're not the starter anymore and it can lead to problems and upset parents. So I'm just curious, th those two general topics, you can approach it however you want, but I'm curious, like, is it overblown what people are saying about participation tr culture or and then part number two, when they get to the high school level, and now you're getting all these clubs forming into one high school, do, do you see problems there as well? Yes, 100%. Um, parents are worse than they've ever been. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. It, they, I, no matter what, you go to coaching school. Um, I, well, we go, we go to the state, the boys' state championships this past year during, right before spring break. And, a lot of us coaches are just having horror parent stories and right, right. Um, which luckily this year, like for Marble Falls, but for us, we didn't have any, but which yeah. was great. But um, you hear these horror stories all the time. And, and I'm the first one I I'm huge on saying this and this might not be a good thing, but I, um, I can't stand the participation trophy deal. Sure, I can't. Yeah. yeah. I can't stand it um, because I feel like, you know, and, and let me back up with the young kids, like at three, four years old, whatever they right, play your right. local YMCA soccer, you know, I, I feel like that there's levels to this stuff, sure, but sure. you know, cause I mean like there ain't no four year old. I mean, heck my, my eight year old sons is competitive as anybody and they got whipped last yesterday in a in the semifinal game or a quarterfinal game and i mean yeah he understood that they got their butt whipped whatever 
But then after he got in the truck and we were 20 minutes down the road, he forgot all about it. Like right, he, right, right. You know right. what I mean? But so like, I, I feel like, I, I don't know. I don't like enabling kids. Like when it's kind of a hard subject cause I don't like, cause I'm all big about development, but at the same exactly, time, cause, like, cause you're, you're also the same guy that doesn't leave anybody behind. So you're, right. you're not someone saying, Hey, I'm just only going to get all the best players and focus on them and be ultra competitive. You, you are for building everyone, but I, I see what you're saying. You also don't want to, cause th- this, this could seep into altered expectations at the high school level. Kind of right. like, do you feel like that the, the, the participation culture is part of the problem that you're seeing in high school? Or is it the fact that these parents are now, spending so much money in athletic and youth athletics that they're, they're accustomed to getting their, their way, I guess. And now, yeah, no, you're right, man. 100% you're right. I just 100% that you're right. I just know for me, I try to build our kids, no matter what they are. I try to build them and, and people around my staff, everybody, we try to build them as winners, like, like not just winning the game, but winning, life moments too you know what i mean like life life so and then understand like these parents they don't want their kids to fail and i'm the exact opposite i'm like your kid has got to feel that so they can learn how to overcome that amen because sports is like you know how they say too like i'm a big believer and so i feel like me coaching sports is my ministry like sure, i can't sure. i'll I, I can't go get in front of a of a congregation and preach the bible i'll be honest with you I, I i believe i read i do all that yeah but i can't do that but what i can do is i can put godly values and in life values into sports and re- replicate them into sports and the thing is i want our kids to be pushed i want our kids to be i want them to fail i want them to learn what it feels like when they work hard and they still don't succeed what are you going to do next you know what i mean so that's kind of those are all teaching valuable moments for me and so when you're telling telling or when you're giving a kid that know that <laughs> let's say if they know that they've lost every single game but you give them a championship trophy then you you didn't you didn't prove anything to them you know what i mean like yeah. i i mean i have had parents in my recreational programs like flag football get very upset with me because i don't give out participation awards for them i'm like i'm not gonna do that i'm not doing i'm not giving them not giving them a trophy for not winning what they were supposed to win. like if they got first or second in their division then they're gonna win something but they're not you know and so people are yeah people but like you said there it's like half and half like people are they're like well these kids are supposed to have fun like yeah let's have fun let's do this like we want to we want to encourage the right thing but you're not it's so i don't know just because your your baby fails does not mean that you can patch it up let them go through it and yes. help them through it like let them feel it like i'll tell you right now my son was upset crying or or in the got in the truck right when he got out and was upset because they got beat 15 to 3 in their baseball game never has happened to him and I'm like, well, what are we gonna do about it, dude? Are we gonna just sit here and cry? Or are we gonna or are we gonna go get back to work? I mean, so like, are we gonna quit or are we gonna keep moving forward? And so when you put those those options in front of them, you you'll you'll be surprised how resilient these kids are and how they they will overcome it if you allow them to go through it. You know what I mean? Like I totally now, granted, I'm, yeah. I'm not gonna look 
let my kid slip all the way through the cracks, but I want him to feel that pain because as us as coaches, we feel that pain when we lose games. Like in high school, there's plenty of games this year where I'm on the bus ride home in tears because we missed yeah. we missed the free throw to lose the game or right. We right. you know what I mean? So I don't know, man. It's just, it's kind of a touchy topic. Of course, topic, yeah. But it really is. But I'm I'm the, I'm all for kids learning valuable lessons and but that's why you gotta have good leaders, I guess, leading your kids. Bingo. That's Bingo. why like, if you have a good director. That is not about winning. Now, granted, if you go win a medal or you go win a ring, great. Let's celebrate it. Great job. You did great. But we're going to continue to keep working because it's going to get tougher now, you know? And so. Yeah, it it is a really touchy topic, Coach. And I really – I found it interesting that you said you have parents that are approaching you saying that they want more participation trophies. Because I'm sure you have other parents that feel the exact opposite. So here you are stuck in the middle. You're going to – whatever you do, you're going to piss off half the people. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no matter what man no matter what if you're in the sports world you're gonna half of them are gonna like you half of them are not so yeah. you know but, and I, I where I, I i agree with everything you said coach and i i mean i i'm in i i see both sides of the argument just like you said the you know you you do want the kids to have fun so like we do want to guard against abusive coaches right that's what we don't want we don't want just like the bud kilmer from you know uh varsity blues like win at all costs like that's not what we want like you said if we have leaders like yourself that you said it yourself. You're not someone that just tries to stockpile the best kids and just try to win. Like you're bringing everybody along. It's yeah. not about winning or losing. It's about their development, but it's okay to lose, right? Like you can build right. losing. So um, yeah, I, I totally agree with you, man. But this is a part I always uh, ask my guests about. You're new to the show. So you, you know, I actually just met you. So you don't, you don't know this, but I always share on the show, you know, for me as a youth, like my, my dad was a kind of an abusive person. So I, I grew up with a lot of like domestic, you know, abuse issues happening at the home, you know, as a young child and everything. And for yeah. me, coaches saved my life. Just so you talk about coaching is your ministry, you know, yeah. my coaches in high school were that, that was their ministry. They saved me, you know, and that's why yeah. I'm so protective of coaches. And that's why I do this podcast. Like I'm really, it, it really scares me that you said parents are worse than ever. Like that's not the direction we need to be going. Our coach should be celebrated. And we should be thankful as parents for our coaches, not, not tearing them down every chance we get. And so now that I've left coaching and I, I you know, I, I still do broadcasting. I, I call high, I, I broadcast streaming, you know, events for Texan live and Vipe and stuff like that for baseball. I mean, for basketball and football, primarily now that I'm up there in the stands a little more, I see some really bad parent behavior that I, maybe I didn't see it as much when I was a coach, you know, on the sidelines at the game. Right. And I'm sure that extends not just to high school sports, but I'm sure at your level too, you're hearing all kinds of stuff coming out of the stands in the, you know, in a quiet ballpark, you hear people yelling at yourself or the umpire or their kid or other kids. Like it's, it's just so negative. I see some of these yeah. you know, clips online of, of umpires being physically assaulted by parents and i'm just like what are we doing we're at an all-time low for umpire participation like who would want to do that job <laughs> you know right yeah, you're right man. It, it's really scary man and so i think like you said i think it starts at the youth level and then works its way up but you're you're in there man you're, you're seeing a lot of it you've probably seen a lot of negative stuff i'll share this story real quick because you're a basketball coach i was gonna call a basketball game at a tournament you know around christmas time like you described in your welcome to varsity moment I'm sitting there setting up our camera, getting ready to go. There's some parents taking in the game and they're very friendly at first. And uh, I'm like, Oh yeah. And actually like, you know, they're, they're, um, they've got the, the, the you know, the, their, their kids are playing for a team. And I noticed like, I didn't realize it coming in, but like the, the coach is a buddy of mine. And I tell the parents like, Oh, your, your coach is actually a friend of mine. Immediately their demeanor changes. 
they went from being friendly to all of a sudden the dad turns around. And he says to me, well, you might want to shut your ears because we don't like him. You're not going to like what you're about to hear. And I was just stunned coach. I literally yeah. said, okay. Like I didn't know what to yeah. say to that. And <laughs> as the game wore on, man, they were just, they were so nasty. Just talking about the coaching, talking about players on the team in this quiet gym, just like yelling at the officials and like, you know, humiliating the officials. And I'm just like, I wanted so bad to go up to them and say, you, you are the problem with sports parents like you, but I, I just, I bit my tongue. I think I've probably the right decision, but what can you share with us, man? Cause you're in there on the ground level. You deal with youth sports. You've you dealt with a lot of parents. You, you, you said yourself, the parents are getting worse than ever. What are you seeing or what can we do to make this better? Cause to me, in my opinion, the worst thing we can do is make people want to leave coaching or umping or, you know, officiating all that kind of stuff. We, we don't want that. So what, what what's yeah. your advice for us, coach? Man, it's hard. Um, that's another touchy subject because you like you really everybody has their opinions on what they feel like that they can how they can stop this or how they can do this. And it's actually really funny that you're saying this. We had an umpire on Saturday. We got done playing. We all as a team go eat. Well, the umpire walks into our restaurant and we actually um, we invited him to come eat with us. And so he sat wow. with us. And we're talking and he, you know, we're getting his perspective on a lot of things and he's from New York yeah. and I have never heard this. And this is like absolutely genius, but this was like in a rec league. This wasn't no like tournament, but I was like, man, that is so genius. He said, um, if a parent is irate or if they kick a parent out of the park or whatever it is in order for them to come back and watch their kid play, they have to umpire with the umpire that kicked them out for two games until they can go back to normal activity again. And I did then hear about that, do coach. That, I did hear about a town in Pennsylvania or something instituted that rule. And it sounds like yeah. even the Northeast are doing, they're trying some of that. Yeah. And I'm like that. Cause the thing is people are going to, they're going to want to watch their kid play. Yeah. So they're like, you know, ultimately if, if they care about their kid and want to support their kid, then they're going to go through it. And I feel like, man, what better way than to teach a, a parent like, hey, like this is the situation that you can be in, you know, right. like th this is where we are on this side of the fence. You know, it's really easy to be on that side of the fence. Um, you know, for me, I, I run a lot of tournaments, too, and I have yet to have any type of brawl or fight or, yeah. you know, there's been arguments and things like that or and and kick people out of the gym. But, you know, I think, I don't know, man, I just, it, a lot of it just from me being organized, like, like running tournaments and events, you always do your prep work early to make sure that there is no, like, okay, if you know that you're about to have a really heated game, you want to make sure you have your best two officials on a game. Right, like you right. want to pre, you want to do all your pre-work just so you know that like, hey, I did everything I could. But as for like the parents and stuff, man, I don't know, like, that's a big question mark for me. The only thing is, is because I see a lot of my friends leaving the 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 career of of coaching, yeah. and they're amazing at it, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. But they can't handle parents no more, and it's sad because we are losing good officials, we are losing good coaches, we are losing good leaders because these parents that pay their way to go do all that are so used to getting what they want sure. that they'll they'll go to the extreme to make it happen and that's not fair for the coach you know what i mean it's just not fair at all 
Now, and yes, there are bad coaches and good coaches and all that, but I think parents just need to understand and realize when you have someone good that's leading in the right place, let it be. But it's hard. It's harder. It's hard said. It's more hard said than done. I, I don't know. It's, I think it's just something that you have to just kind of keep trying to enforce rules and keep having a backbone. You know what I mean? And yeah. keep, you know, keep putting these like, I mean, I think everybody can come together or that are running leagues or tournaments and things like that. Just kind of upholding their end of the bargain. Like, Hey, if parents are irate, kick them out or do what you need to do. That's necessary to make it better. You know what I mean? Yeah. And hopefully that they learn, but we live in a world right now that everything is so everything is based off of irrational decisions. And so I don't know how it's going to work. I mean, if, <laughs> if our, government and our everything that we do has a bunch of issues and stuff going on how are we gonna how are we gonna teach our kids and parents how to be calm at games you know what i mean so i don't know man i think it goes into a whole bigger spectrum here i think you just pray that parents are gonna slowly get it and the ones that are leading that are leading by example and and coaching parents too that's another big thing with my program i coach parents just like i do Right. These kids. Yeah. And I will tell you very rarely we will have any issue because if you coach them up the right way and you build them up the right way, that's why I like to have these parents and kids when they're young. So because then they, they know how I operate and they know how I work. I'm pretty passionate, emotional guy. And so like if they, if there's something that bad that happens, they will know and understand like it really upset me. And I think most of them have that enough respect for me. They're like, man, we're not going to put him through that again. And so, which I have to feel the the heartbreak of it sometimes, but at the same time, if it makes them learn, then, then we win in the end. So. I love that coach, man. And I, I hope hard. it's just, I think there's an ebb and flow to everything. And I, I hope this is not a trend that just keeps getting worse and worse. Hopefully it's, it's kind of gotten worse, but then maybe we, we, we see a change and we see more positivity in sports and that's what I'm hoping for, man. And yeah, I, I, I agree with everything you said. And I mean, I, I hope to be that parent one day, you know, if my son, you know, wants to play sports, I hope that he does. Like, I want to be there. I want to be when other parents come to me to complain. I want to be the guy that's defending the coach and saying like, no, this coach is great. You know, and I, yeah. I actually experienced that with my younger brother because I'm 10 years older than he is. So I got to go to his games almost like a parent because I'm so much older. And I would always sit as far away as I could because I didn't want any parents around me, other parents, you know. I just wanted to watch the game and cheer for my brother. But inevitably, someone would come up to me and start questioning the play calling or this. I'm like. I was, I wouldn't entertain it. I was like, I, I just, I don't see it the same way. I think these coaches are excellent, <laughs> you know? And yeah. so, yeah, uh, yeah, definitely looking forward to that, man. But, and we're kind of getting to the end coach, just for a couple of fun stories. You said you've met quite a few famous people. The two of the big ones uh, were Birdman, Chris Anderson. Uh, yeah. I played for the Nuggets for a long time. Miami Heat Birdman. Know, was another one, but you said you met him at a college station and academy at a college at, uh, at an academy in college station. And he was yeah. a super cool dude. So what was that like? Oh man, it was wild. I was, um, I was, I don't know, I was shopping or something. And all of a sudden, like over these clothes racks, I see like this big old mohawk. And I'm like, oh gosh, I was like, this dude's huge. And so then, like, of course, me being the cur- curious, curious guy that I am, I go around and look. And I'm like, and I look at him, I'm like, and I, my first words to him, like, you're the bird man. <laughs> <laughs> and he just starts laughing. He goes, yeah, man, I guess I am. 
And I was like, man, it's so cool to meet you. And I was like, I'm a big, and I told him, I was like, man, I'm a big Kenyon Martin fan. Yada, yada. How was it like, you know, and we just started talking and we like really talked for like 20 minutes. And awesome. it was just like, he was a cool down to earth dude. And he's got a really cool story too. Like his, his, his life hasn't been all sunshine and rainbows. And so, um, but for him to hear that guy talk, like, I mean, a lot of these, a lot of those pro athletes too, like they just kind of shun you off, you know, cause they, they're always getting approached. But me, like maybe I just came at it in a funny way and yeah. he just talked about it, but he was, it was cool, man. He, he was a cool dude. So. That's awesome, man. And, and the other one that you talked about was Nate Diaz. And I, I you said you're a huge UFC fan. I, I kind of, I'm not a huge fan. I'm just kind of casually follow it, but I remember Diaz and Conor McGregor having some wars uh oh, yeah. i think they had a trilogy right or at least, they went at least twice i remember going uh with friends to watch the pay-per-view so what was that yeah. like you said you met him over facetime uh so yeah i'm a big conor mcgregor fan too for other reasons not not what he does in the outside world but yeah um i'm a huge nate diaz fan too and one of my uh my stepson's cousins was in vegas and he was walking the strip. And so he FaceTimes me because he knows how big of a Nate Diaz nut I am. And yeah. so he's like, dude, you'll never believe who I'm standing right by right now. And anyway, he turned the phone and it's Nate Diaz. Wow. And like, I felt like I felt like uh, uh, a little kid in the candy store. I was all excited and I was screaming. And then like I talked to him through FaceTime. I got a couple screenshots of it. That's but awesome. The dude's a super cool dude. He like actually talked to me on FaceTime for a little bit. Um, and then, but also one of my best friends met him. Um, he was in the military or no, I'm sorry, not one of my best friends. I'm sorry. One of my closest friends, his brother was in the, is in the military and he met him at an airport and they, Nate Diaz actually walks up to them because they're all in gear, you know, and all in their military gear and like goes up and tells them, thank you for your service and things That's like awesome. that. And and kind of just, you know, talks to him and so i don't know it was just kind of a cool ex those were two like cool experiences that i've had i mean i've met other ones but those were the two coolest ones i've had so there, there's that old saying don't ever don't ever meet your heroes right because like you, you might be disappointed so not the case though yeah. and i hear this quite a bit actually honestly when i when i always ask this question about meeting celebrities i haven't had anyone yet tell me that that so-and-so was was a jerk you know it seems like usually these are good guys so i'm, I'm really happy yeah with that. Okay, last I thing. I want to meet Michael Jordan one day. Oh, that's that would be awesome. List. <laughs> that would be great, man. I'm, I'm with you. So, I guess you're Jordan on the goat debate. Oh yes, I'm go. I'm I'm pro Jordan all day. I am too, man. I I think LeBron's awesome as well. If, if most people obviously LeBron and Jordan, it, it, what it comes down to, but uh, I, I lean yeah, Jordan yeah. for sure. Um, you mentioned your favorite teams. You said till I die. I love the way you phrase this. It was till I die. Dallas Cowboys, Texas A&M Aggies and Boston Celtics. And you yep. said you have a few players that you follow, but those are your three teams. The Cowboys and Aggies, I definitely def could have guessed, but I guess Celtics, was it just the history, or do you have some kind of tie to, to, to Boston? The, so um, growing up, my dad, um, well, he's 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 like my he's my stepdad, but I consider yeah. him dad. Kind of like um, what you talked about earlier, like with yeah. your childhood growing yeah. up. I was kind of the same scenario. Right. But so my dad was, is a big Larry Bird fan. And, and I grew the love of basketball through my dad now. And so I watched a lot of Larry Bird stuff and, you know, Michael Jordan and all that. And, 
Um, so I, I, you know, kind of by default, I started, I love the Celtics, but then when the trade went down with Ray Allen and Kevin Garnett and Ray John Ronda, all those guys. Yeah. Um, so I'm a big Paul Pierce fan. I know it's weird, but I'm a big Paul Pierce fan, but I'm a big Ray Allen fan. Yeah. Um, I'm a big Kevin Garnett fan. So when all those dudes came to the, to Boston, it was like, this is a meant to be thing for me. And so, um, I've been, I've been a diehard since them really, but, um, but I've been a fan like my whole life. Obviously you love the bulls because of Jordan, you know, Pippen and all them Rodman. So I grew up watching the bulls, but I was always, I was always a Celtic fan. I always loved watching the Celtics and rooting for them. And then, but then when all this stuff went down, I was like, okay, this is my team forever. Like I'm going to, I'm no bandwagon jumper. So I was like, I I'm sticking to it. So, and trust me, I get my licks for being a cowboy and Aggie fan. So sure, 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 sure. Now, you, you, you definitely, you, 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 you root for some teams that are that, that they're divisive, I guess you could say, I mean, opposing fan bases don't like some of these blue blood teams, but uh, nah, no, man, I, think, I think that's awesome. Well, no. I've already put you on the hot seat quite a bit, you know, of all those tough questions about the youth sport culture and everything, but I'm gonna put you on the hot seat one last time here. We're going to do right. start from Mount Rushmore. So this is going to be your top four. We were talking before the show and you had trouble narrowing it down to even six. And so now I'm going to ask you to get it all the way down to four. And when you uh, unveil your, your Aggie football top four all time, your Aggie football Mount Rushmore. Okay. Well, I'm going to have to stay true and loyal to my boy, Stephen McGee. Love it. That's who I played with in high school. Yeah, that's right. Uh, okay. So he's from Burnett. Okay. Yeah. He's from Burnett. Yeah. So that's uh, him. And then um, we're going to have to go with Mike Evans. Um, dude's a stud. And then um, we'll yep. have to go with uh, Vaughn Miller. Okay. Yep. And then we will. Oh, man. Um, oh, people are. I don't know. I can't. I can't know. Miles Garrett probably going to have to be my my fourth guy. Miles Garrett. I Absolutely. was I was between him and Johnny Football. I Johnny Football did a lot for Aggie football, but obviously he's not the best role model off of the <laughs> off of the field. But sure. so which I know you could probably say some stuff about Miles Garrett too about going after the ref or whatever <laughs> player, but but as for those are those are my four Aggie Rush Mount Rushmores. Oh man, I love it. And so the honorable mention, you know, you said talk about Johnny football and you also, you, you had Jamar Toombs was on your bubble too. I just remember. The oh yeah. Punishing I love back. Jamar Toombs going to Aggie games. And when he's running the ball and everybody yells Toombs. Yeah. That's like kind of a, that was a cool deal too. He was good too. He's legit. The one I got to ask about, and it, it surprised me also, cause I know you're a Cowboys fan, but you know, for me, when I think of Aggie football, it's that win. And so he, I noticed he was not on your top six. So is there a reason? Well, or- that that win did cross my mind, but you yeah. did say four, and I was like, "Man, this dude's gonna think I'm a weirdo if I start naming ten dudes." You know? <laughs> sure, 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 sure. No, okay. that win was it was a good one too. He was a good one. It's hard to top but, guys like Vaughn Miller and Miles Garrett, though, as far as defense. I mean, those guys are incredible. So, good yeah, selection no there. All right, let's let's go. Let's talk about those Cowboys a little bit. How about them Cowboys? Let's do a wide receiver edition. I've done a lot of quarterback editions where I ask. I ask Romo, Aikman, or Prescott. I've done a couple of those recently, so I'm going to go a different direction, unless you unless you have strong opinions on that. But uh, the question I asked for you was the wide receiver edition, the 88s edition. Let's go Des- okay. start one, bench one, cut one. Des okay. Bryant, Michael Irvin, the playmaker, and CeeDee Lamb. Oh, you're good at this, man. But I'm going to go with 
I'm gonna go with I'm gonna start Michael Irvin. Okay. And then I'm gonna bench C D and then I'm gonna cut Dez. Any any re I mean Des Bryant, I mean any reason why he, he's the one that gets cut. I mean, obviously it's tough. <laughs> Very tough. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, people that had didn't watch Irving, yeah. I I guess they would be like, dude, you're nuts. But if you got to watch Michael Irving, and especially, I mean, the dude was a monster and he was a playmaker and he was always, he wanted to win. He was a winner, you know? Um, I don't know. I thought he had that grit to him. I will say CD lamb is well on his way to being a great though. He is like, he's, if we're just, if they're all like equal right now, whatever, I mean, CD is well on his way. And then, Des, I just, I like Des, respect him with his talent. I just thought, I don't know, he was kind of too, too much for me, like too sure. much of a, of a head case for me in a way. And I, I don't know, I, I'm more of a coach in this aspect. I'm going to go with the guy that I trust the most, you know? And so, um, Michael Irvin was, was my pick. So, man, this one thing just, just running through that name, like we don't have good sports nicknames anymore. Like the, the guys don't have nicknames, you know? I can't think of any really good one in this era, but man, you the, the playmaker, Michael Irvin, Moose Johnston, yeah. you know, I mean, Carl, the yeah. mailman Malone, like they just had those iconic yeah. nicknames, like the mailman, the playmaker. I mean, it's just prime time. <laughs> yeah. Prime. Yeah, man. That's awesome. And CD lamb. I actually had the pleasure, or I guess you call it displeasure of coaching against him. Uh, when I was defensive coordinator, at Ridgepoint, uh, CDs from Richmond, Texas, he played for the foster Falcons and we met okay. them in the first round coach. Get this. We were both 10 and 0. That season, just the way that the district shook out, we were both 10 and 0 playing each other in the first round. Somebody That's had to go home, and luckily we were able to send CD and the Falcons home that day. But that that was probably the my as a defensive coordinator, even though we won that game, that, that's the toughest assignment I've ever had was trying to I stop bet. that offense. I bet. I bet. I bet that was a nightmare to to plan for. Yeah. And last one, coach, man, I'm, I'm rocking my old Kevin McHale jersey for you. I, I didn't tell you this, but I collect jerseys. So I've got hundreds of jerseys, man. So I had a Larry Bird and I haven't had a McHale. I figured I'd just go McHale just to mix it up a little bit, uh, but definitely could have gone Larry Legend. But let's do a Celtic start bench cut edition here. Okay. Larry Bird, Jason Tatum, and then the guy you said you love, Paul Pierce. <laughs> oh, man, this is bad. This is um... <laughs> Cause I'm a big Jason Tatum fan too. Um, Oh dude, man. Well, I'm going to go back to what my coaching mind here because starting benching and cutting is totally different, but I'm, I'm going to have to go with, I'm going to have to start with Larry bird. I have to. And then I think I'm going to, Oh, this is gonna kill me. I, yeah, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna. I'm gonna bench Tatum, but then I, I'm gonna cut Paul Ooh. Pierce. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you have Larry Bird around, <laughs> you you have to use him. You have to. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know, man. That's my opinion. I I'll go with Larry Bird on this one. Jason Tatum is still. He's still. I, I mean, I think he's one of the great ones, but I think he's still learning how to go be the superhero. And yeah, he's not, he's not there. I don't think he's quite, he's almost there, but I don't, I had a lot of respect for him in that last playoff game that we lost to the heat where he, I mean, pretty much first play of the game, rolled his ankle 
and he played with it, you know? So he's starting to understand a little bit. I, I felt bad for him, but you know, and Paul Pierce, I just always liked how Paul Pierce played, but until uh, when Kevin Garnett and Rajon Rondo and Ray Allen got there, I think they just kind of all, I think that was a good team. You know what right. I mean? I think it was right. just a good team. Paul Pierce wasn't really so-called a true crazy superstar. You know what I mean? He just kind of did the things that he had to do right. But I'm going to go with Larry Bird, man. I'm, I have to go with Larry Bird. That was – he introduced me to my love of the Celtics. So, whatever. I got to ask you this, man, because I don't get to chat with, like, a, a basketball coach all the time, man, like this. And you, you said yourself, the reason you made Vars as a freshman, you were kind of – you were a sharpshooter yourself. Like, that was kind of your thing. Another sharpshooter is a guy named J.J. Redick. And I'm actually a big fan of his work in the media. I listen to his podcast all the time. One thing I yeah. kind of didn't like that JJ said recently, though, and he kind of caught some flack for it, though, is like, I don't like the way he kind of snidely dismisses Larry Bird's career three-point percentage, you know, and kind of just bringing that up. And it's like, I get what you're saying, JJ, that Larry's percentages are not impressive in today's standard. But also, like, I think when Larry Bird started playing in the NBA, I don't think they had a three-point line. And it was just a yeah. different time whenever he maybe he put up two or three threes a game you know what i mean it's just i don't know i just yeah. don't like sometimes the disrespect towards legends like that like a larry legend but uh yeah larry could larry could shoot that ball i mean anybody can see that watching him on film so yeah larry was so talented dude like he it's like i my dad and i talk about it all the time i feel like that he's the one that started bringing the the spice in the basketball like the the skill in a way like yeah i mean obviously you know, the Jason Williams and all that and everything were ultra talented. I'm, I'm a big Allen Iverson fan, all that. But, like, I felt like, you know, you can even talk – you can go back as Dr. J, too. But, like, Larry had style, but he also had grit, too. Like, he – that's the type of player, like, I – those are players I love. You know what I mean? Like, I just right. – like, I'm a big Kenyon Martin fan. I'm a big Kevin Garnett fan. So, and those dudes are, like, intense, you know? And so – um I don't know. I, 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 I don't know. I, I, I'm, I enjoy the game. I enjoy it, but JJ Redick, I definitely respect him, like yeah, him, love watching him play. Um, but I mean, it wasn't Larry Bird's fault when they didn't have a three point line at the time, you know? So he did what he had to do. So totally and then now too, I mean, basketball players are so more, I mean, they are skilled now. I mean, there's more opportunity to, the game is starting to, they're starting to figure the game out. You know what I mean? Right, and so, and right. then it's getting introduced to these younger talents, you know, obviously I think the game is evolving in so many ways, but I think it's getting a little bit softer in some ways too. So you can, there's a forever long debate on from new era to old era. So totally agree. No, I'm with you on yep. all that. And you know, if, if y'all have enjoyed this as much as I have, please, again, please take the moment. Give us that five-star rating that drives us up the charts so more people can hear these stories of coaches making a difference here like Coach Wilson. Hit the follow button to subscribe and hear new episodes as soon as they come out each week. And follow me on Twitter at Coach underscore Kobo. That's Coach underscore K-O-V-O. You can hit us up at teamplayerpodcast at gmail.com. And then we lift up our own here inside of the Team Player Nation. So if you got a suggestion, just like Ryan Edwards suggested I reach out to Coach, and I did it. So send me a suggestion. We'll, we'll get him on the show. As always, the cover art and music for the Team Player Podcast are provided by two of my former players. The cover art is by Kaiser St. Cyr, and our intro and exit music is One More Good Enough from Avrion's self-titled debut album. You can find his music on all platforms by searching for Avrion. That's A-V-R-I-O-N. Coach Sonny Wilson, thank you so much for coming on the show. Hey, I appreciate you, man. Thank you. Nice jersey, by the way. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you so much to all the team players out there for your support, and we'll catch you all down the road. Just, 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 just,
It always feel like I need one more bar and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bump my head. Lost my mind, insuring them. I'm just fine, I'm good enough, but I need one more bar and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bump my head. Lost my mind, insuring them. I'm just fine, I'm good enough, but I need one more bar and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bump my head. Lost my mind, insuring them. I'm just fine, I'm good enough. Truth be told, I need some therapy. Initially, ain't do it voluntarily, but now I got a legacy. 